everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Oh God, It Hurts. Oh God, It Hurts. Uh, this is episode 43, and with me as always is the man, the myth, the legend, Game Agent E.T. How are you, Eddie? Ah, uh, I'm freezing. It's cold freezing? here. Um, How much is... Five degrees Celsius in Fahrenheit. I have no idea. I'm an American. <laughs> Damn these units. <laughs> Why do we have such screwed up units? Anyways, it's five degrees Celsius here, and uh, it's uh, quite nipply outside. Um, well, no, 32 degrees Fahrenheit is zero in yeah. Celsius. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't, I guess, I don't, I'm I don't. guessing it's like 50 degrees Fahrenheit or lower, maybe. I don't know. So that's got you freezing? Well, I'm from Arizona, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you haven't lived here since like 2007 now. I know, but I'm still weak when it comes to cold, thin blooded. cold temperatures. Yeah. Mm. I might be a lizard. I don't know. <laughs> don't you have lots of rad gaming gear that you can wear in layers? Um, mostly t-shirts, so I yeah. wear like five t-shirts, like three gaming t-shirts, yeah. put a, a long sleeve up the yeah. court. But other than that, Japan's as usual, you know, always you an believe. adventure. Yeah. How about you? What's going on, sir? Uh, well, I've been slowly playing my way through Super Mario Wonder. Um, oh, it remains enjoyable. Um, I need to play that more. I haven't had time to play games too much. But. Yeah, just I kind of beat like one or two levels, and I smile, and then I put it down. I don't know. Like I'm not. I don't think it's a knock against the game that I'm not like just trying to rip at a new ass and get you know like a hundred percent completion sort of thing. I'm just being real leisurely about it, because it's not like we get those every day. I think that's the best way to do it for a Mario game. That's what I did for Kirby. Yeah. And uh, Wonder, I really need to sit down and do that, but it's kind of like your daily quote for meditation, where it's like, Mm. you sit down for 10 minutes, you play it, and you're like, ah, that was great. I can go on with the rest of my day. So I can understand. Yeah. 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 Is there anything else that you're playing besides Wonder? Uh besides Wonder, um there's a there's a SNES ROM that is the full uncensored Ted Woolsey script for Final Fantasy VI. So I'm playing through that like what what's uh good about that script? I don't know who Ted Wood Woods. Ted Woolsey was Woolsey. the primary translator at SquareSoft back in the day that would work on the North American localized versions of those games. Yeah. Um and he you know he would strive for a mix of accuracy and then like also trying to imbue it with enough sort of drama. And sometimes like he would put in things that 
Square just thought, oh, that's a little too much for this particular audience. So, you know, they would tone things down. Um, hmm. I don't know. I kind of enjoy it because it's a little, it's got a little more of a bite to it as far as like, I don't know. I, I recall like the key difference from the opening scene is just like, you know, Wedge and Biggs are far more scared of Terra than they are in the version we got because they're like, she wiped out all of these. Oh my God. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're far more like uh, this creepy, this creepy girl. We've got a slave crown on her head and that's great. Cause otherwise she'll murder us kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like huh. it's just a, a bit of a more intense tone to things. How, how did think- uh, they get a hold of this uh, script? Did he release it or things? I'm I'm sure that that got leaked somewhere at some, you know, at uh, some point along the path and, you know, fans, fans do what they're going to do with that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? That sounds pretty interesting though. I'd like to try it out. Um, yeah. But yeah, I know quite a few translators or localization uh, experts that, yeah have translated games and they told me a lot like, yeah, it's all like, it's really dependent on the person's personality who's translating it or their beliefs on how it should be translated. So sometimes you'll get a by the book translation to the very point where it's like kind of stiff. And then there's others who, maybe they play through the game and they kind of feel how the game is going and then they kind of put their own spin on it, sometimes too creatively, or sometimes yeah. they'll try to spice it up a little bit, but at the same time try to keep the spirit of the game. Yeah, I mean, script. one of the more notorious examples were all of the working designs games, right? Like, Yeah. they were They were notorious for, like, lots of pop culture references and like making things very, very jokey, which I think sometimes it was almost like they were creating these, this, their own sort of sub brand across all of these different video games, even though that might not have been tonally true to each of those games. So, yeah. You know, it's a it's a deeply subjective art form, um, but yeah, like to me, it seems like with something that already has like a fairly limited set of storytelling tools, right? Like a a sixteen bit RPG. You know, you're talking about like pantomime with little sprites and backgrounds and some music. And that text really like whatever occurs in that is going to take a huge, it's going to leave a huge impact on like the emotional impact on a player. So yeah, that, that uh, is kind of a, yeah, it's an interesting uh, situation because nowadays we have full CG cutscenes, things like that. You can see right. the actual expression of the characters and they're more demonstrative. You can see yeah. the gestures, everything. 
Yeah. Well, now those games are so big in size that usually they're just shipping with like all the languages on them, right? Or that too. A lot of games will also just have like, oh, you can download the Japanese language track if you want that specifically. Um, and that's great now. I mean, but yeah, there was such a there was such a large chunk of games from the like first boom of this particular genre that just never showed up here or have just existed in fan sub form forever. Oh, by, so by the way, did you hear about the um recent uh release of a translation f- patch for uh the Neo Steel uh Neo Geo C D Samurai Showdown RPG game? Yeah I did hear that and I'm very excited about that. I'm gonna have to scrape that together at some point because um not too long ago, the Mr. Neo Geo core had Neo Geo CD support added. Yeah. So I definitely like that was absolutely a white whale for me for a long time as I was like, Oh, I wonder how as many other people. Yeah. 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 So no, that's another exciting one that I would love to spend some time with because you know, like I'm sure those, the people that made that game at SNK were just, giant fans of all the other JRPG games happening at the time. So I'd love to see what their take on it using those characters would be. So, yeah. And from what I understand, this uh, translation project was a long, long on and off project that actually got stopped for years and then picked up again, like two years ago, I think I don't, I don't, I don't have the actual quotes or anything, but I was yeah. reading that on X Twitter. So, yep. but yeah, definitely take, take a look at that. If you can, uh, I'll try to find a way to, to play that if I can. Yeah. I don't know if I will be able to, but yeah, definitely sounds fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but cool, man. That's um, for me. Uh, I've been playing double dragon collection. Yep. And uh I don't think it's out in the states. They do sell the games separately, but basically Double Dragon Collection is the NES games, Double Dragon 1, 2 and 3, and then mm-hmm. Super Double Dragon for Super Nintendo and uh Double Dragon Advance, which of course, you know, I'm into. Oh. Yeah, that that's on there, but uh the most surprising thing is the fact that they did some improvements to Super Double Dragon, where they allow you to control the speed of the game now, so it's actually very fun to play once you speed it up to like a normal game. <laughs> like, there's no more slowdown. You can set it so that you can have fun, like moving around instead of like laboring about. Um, like in the original mm-hmm. and the Double Dragon Advance, uh, they improved the audio so now it sounds very clean compared to yes. the original where it was uh, made for Game Boy Advance, which did not have the the best sound chip. Yeah, the hardware was pretty bad, but I think the problem was that it didn't actually have any sound chip, right? I don't like you know, have to just sort of stitched together. 
sounds with like whatever available. Yeah. Yeah. I need to learn more about the GBA hardware specifically, but I know that's been like, even though there's a very robust emulation scene for that thing, like, yeah, some of those emulators have tried developing like little sound boosting mechanisms and it's, there's only so much you can do with it unless you're crafting something bespoke, like for a real specific game. So that's pretty cool. That they did that for double dragon advance. Yeah. It, 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 there are nice little flourishes that they didn't have to do, but they, it, they improved the games completely to the point nice. where you enjoy them so much more. And I'm glad that I got them. So Excellent. if 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 you can get them either piecemeal in the states, you know, whatever games you want to get or if you're lucky to get the Asian or Japanese version, the physical copy, definitely do it. It's got a really nice cover art uh for the game. I don't know who did the illustration, but it's quite in, uh impressive. Nice. I'm, well, glad, I'm glad to see those games getting some love um I definitely wish that we would get like another Double Dragon Advance style. Yeah. I really wish they could make a Double Dragon where from beginning to end they could actually do everything they want to do without any limitations on budget or hardware. Right. Because that's always been the story about Double Dragon. Something keeps it back from being its best and double dragon events is the closest that we got to that sort of vision that they had yeah. initially. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, it's sort we'll of frozen see. in time in a weird place because it's like for a long time, the arcade games were pretty much what drove the development of the different home ports. Yeah. And then with super NES, they tried sort of making an original that was just built for that hardware, which, you know, that game has a muddled history where like there was kind of a more broken U S version of it. Yep. And then the Japanese got a more fleshed out and complete edition of the game, which wasn't like a totally unknown practice. I mean, I know Sonic the Hedgehog basically endured the same thing. Yeah, it came out in the U.S. and it was like slightly beta, and then, you know, for the official Japanese and Korean release, it had like a little bit of extra polish and like one more line scroll. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, Trade West, from what I heard, it's not. I don't. I can't confirm it, but I heard they kind of pushed it out. They wanted it out sooner, so that's why. Mm -hmm. Super Double Dragon is the way it is. But luckily, if you get these games in the collection, you can choose between US, North American, and Japanese versions. Nice. That's, so you can see I both. I love that that's becoming more of an expected thing yeah. now. I know they did that with both uh, Castlevania and Contra collections. Yeah. And that should just be how it is. I mean, now that we're talking about something that is so tiny data wise, you know, why the hell not? Yeah. Why not? Yeah, exactly. And people are more understanding and more, uh, they, they know that it's there. There's right. 
the Japanese version, the US version, North American version, and yeah, just give them a chance to experience both to kind of see the differences and language barrier. Yeah. If I mean, double dragon, you're not going to really care about like, Oh, I can't read this because it's in Japanese, like, uh, like double dragon advance or, you know, cause gameplay speaks for itself. You don't need right. any translation for that. Try it out. My, yeah. my, uh, suggestion. It's great. All right. So, um, we talk about at least one thing that people are bitching about. And so this represents that moment in the show where um, there's a video release that showed off the third wave of costumes for Street Fighter VI. Yeah. Um, and a lot yeah. of people are not thrilled about the price of these things. Um, yeah. And as I was looking yeah. at it, apparently one of the things that actually kept Street Fighter V profitable were just how many costumes they put out for it. Because a lot of people that still played that game went ahead and plunked down for them. Um, well, yeah. But, <laughs> you know, it... It's a, uh, I mean, I think a lot of people were upset with the method that they're taking, uh, the money from you though, in terms yeah. of the fact that you have to buy think, these fighters uh, currency. Yes. So okay. basically, uh, uh, an outfit cost uh, 300 coins, fighter coins, right? Mm-hmm. But when you and how buy, much does that work out to in it's five bucks for like around 200 coins right that's an estimate but so. you can't you can't they set increments so that you can only buy things you can only buy coins in uh, quantities of 250 610 and so on yeah. so if you want to buy just one costume for your main yeah. Guess what? You're gonna have to spend at least ten bucks to get yeah five hundred coins to get an outfit that's three hundred coins, and you're left with two hundred coins. That number one, if you if you only play one character, you don't want to use it on anything else anytime soon. And number two, right. it's like why I, I call this the absolute zero situation where it's like there's absolutely zero reason why you should be doing this why are you charging people to pay for currency and strategically making it so that anytime they want to buy one single thing they have to pay more than what it's worth to get it that's like yeah. saying okay i'm hungry I, I i don't have much money i want to go to mcdonald's and i want to buy a combo meal and it's seven bucks but I have to buy a $10 gift card just to buy anything. Well, the intriguing thing about that is that, that it was already a model that for a long time, Microsoft embraced yeah. and then got rid of like when Xbox live, I want to say when it went, when it, when it got to the 360 mm -hmm. and there were games for sale and Xbox live arcade, that was when you had to buy those point cards 
Yeah. And I believe it was the same also on the Wii, where there was like a virtual currency. And then you would always end up with these little shitty amounts that you just had stuck in your account. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's funny that like these giant gatekeeper companies abandon that because they're just like, eh, it doesn't work out for us. Consumers don't love it. Fuck it. But Capcom was like, oh yeah, let's do this. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's disappointing. A lot of people were really stoked when the game came out and said, wow, this is a great launch. This is. Yeah something that Street Fighter V severely lacked in terms of just everything in general. But then all that goodwill is disappearing because of this uh, strategy with the fighter coins. And like I said, there's absolutely zero reason to do this. And I mean, if you look at other games like Dead or Alive 6, they allow you to either buy the set of costumes at a slightly discounted price right? or uh, like a theme or whatever, or you can buy it piecemeal, like whatever you want. You can just buy it at set costs. You don't have to buy it. And those guys know how to whore out some DLC. Oh yeah. And (laughs) dude, they made so much money. Seriously. Like the game may not be popular, mainstream popular but oh my god whoever was into doa dead or alive man they made bank because of the dlc costumes and capcom uh, i don't know they went from let's look at street fighter 4 right five costumes were like four dollars back in the day and then street fighter 5 like a premium costume would be like four bucks but i believe i don't know for sure but I think you were able to pay for it separately or you can just buy a pack, right? Mm-hmm. And then you can buy a pack that gives you not only costumes, but you got stages too and like other goodies like fight money and whatever. And I think you were able to also buy costumes through playing, if I'm not mistaken. Like, the yeah, more you play, I think the more- one of the issues with that is that, um, yeah. Like, I know that's been a huge complaint about Mortal Kombat 1. Yeah. Is that a lot of the DLC content, yes, you can technically earn it in the game, but it takes, like, an absurdly long time yeah. to grind out. What I'm, I haven't actually played it myself, but to grind out the conditions for, for unlocking those take just a stupid amount of grind to the point that yeah if you want that thing you're probably just going to cough up the change for it and i just think god it's just it's a little bit disingenuous and anti-consumer like if somebody's willing to put in the time and play your game like yeah. that's keeping your game alive that's keeping it in people's minds and keeping people talking about it positively. And I just don't think that there's enough, there's not enough energy being put into like 
proper community building. Like so much of it is just aimed at getting you to the next DLC purchase. And I don't think a lot of these companies are really tending to their player flock in a responsible way. Yeah. I think, um, if anything, it just throws a whole monkey wrench to a lot of things because when you're a fanatic about street fighter, let's say you want to buy all the costumes from mm -hmm. what people have said, it would cost you a hundred dollars. Yep. That's way over the cost of the initial game cost. Yeah. And what's the worth in that? When you take a step back and you see that, that figure. Yeah. Well, you're I think like, you're just counting on a lot of people not stopping and doing that math. Like, yeah. You might have like three characters you consider your favorites. A wave of costumes comes out. Oh, I like all of those, especially for my characters. So you might buy those three. Mm -hmm. And then later on, you might see another couple that you're sort of like, damn, that is kind of a cool costume. I should buy that for so-and-so. And before you know it, like, it's very much modeled after, like, casino gaming. Yeah. Where uh, you determine these things that are, like, psychologically satisfying or provide you with your little dopamine pellet, you know, whatever whatever constitutes that in a specific game, and then you figure out well, how how often do I have to drop one of these in my user's hand to keep that user like right in front of the machine, like waiting for the next pellet? You know what I mean? And um, I understand that, yeah. I mean, but well, I get I get that, like you know, at the end of the day, all these companies have to make money, and that's the reason they're in business in the first place. But I just think there is a point where you can really easily go too far. And I think given the sorts of weird strains and stresses that are on a lot of working people's pocketbooks these days, like if you really want to keep like a nice wide player base, like there's gotta be some method of making it more fair, like have it so that players can unlock it by playing conditions in the game. But like, don't make them so comically difficult that people are just going to be like, I'm not going to spend 500 hours doing this for a fucking costume, you know? Like just exactly. make, it, make it somewhat reachable. I mean, for fuck's sake, like, I think about the way all of that content was unlockable in Soul Calibur 2. And hot Back damn, that, day, game, yeah. that kept me playing that game for a long time. Yeah. Between Soul Calibur 2 and the original game on the Dreamcast. <sighs> and, and that but, makes it, it makes much more sense when you do that. Because if you make it so that you have to earn it through the game by mm -hmm. logging in hours, and not only that, it, it was the same with Dead or Alive, the early Dead or Alive games, where you started playing characters that you weren't familiar with to get their costumes. And if mm -hmm. you were a completionist, yeah. Yeah. You would play the game for hours on end and it made you a better player after yep. that. And yeah. not only that, like if you think about it in this day and age with esports, people would become like 
pretty damn good to the point where they might join tournaments and that would boost up your value even further. Yeah. I mean, joining tournaments, uh, getting sponsorships, things like that. I, I don't know, but basically making this, uh, in vogue thing, like, Oh my God, people are playing street fighter, blah, 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 like crazy because people can't stop playing it. But now it's like, I don't know. You, the the last thing, you, like you said, you want to have is a buzz kill. And yeah. this is a total buzz kill. Um, yep. I mean, the nostalgia costumes that you can get already in Street Fighter Six. That that's either you only have to pay fifty coins, which is, I mean, compared to what three hundred coins did I say for the costume? Yeah. 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 And not only that, you can earn it in game as long as you uh, build up your bond with the uh, world tour. Like you go to whatever whatever character you're interested in and build a hundred point bond you can earn that costume yeah you know what i would love to know now yeah i would love a statistic about how much world tour mode is actually played you know if you wanted to make it played more you would add more incentive by you know costumes or i mean geez even a discount on a costume yeah I mean, in comparison to paying a hundred U.S. dollars, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I just I, I don't know. Like it, to me, it really smacks of like. I don't think any of them like. They're all just hoping it seem it would seem for like. Well, we want the DOA thing. We're like not that many people are going to fork out for all of this shit, but yeah. enough of them will to make it profitable. Yeah. And I just think that they're really missing the boat on community building by just making it a little more favorable and therefore deepening the hooks into any given player's skin. Yeah. Like, oh, I want to keep going back to that because I'm getting stuff at a satisfying rate and I enjoy that. Like, I think they're they're putting too many eggs in one basket and not the other. And it could be much more of a balanced thing. And I think frankly, that's probably an opportunity for someone else making a fighting game to go, Oh, we don't have to do it that way. We could do it this way. And as a result, we're going to have a far more like engaged and passionate community. Yeah. I mean, just like, like like you said, just I think it would have been best to give people options. Yeah. Either you can earn it through the game, but it's going to be a little bit of a grind, but at least you'll get better. Or yeah. you can buy it just outright, but at a fair price. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I agree. I think people in general would buy more. Yeah. If it was a little more balanced on price, I mean, it, yeah, there's know. a strategy with that, right? Like, yeah, you know, you want to make it so the sticker shock is not super hard. If it doesn't even phase a user, yeah, then they're likely to buy all of them. Yeah, and exactly. you have to ask yourself, well, like, at what rate? If people, if X more number of, if if a greater number of people are motivated to buy 
all of that stuff. Yeah. Or we'll just go crazy playing the game and increasing how much time is spent in it. Like that's ultimately what you want. Right. And I don't think it feels very slanted in the other direction, just towards like crazy enthusiasts or people with deep pockets and not enough towards keeping the player base excited. Yeah, they need more guys who play games like this that understand from a right. gamer's point of view. Like yeah, because it just feels a little bit divorced. <laughs> like the price structures and the, the way that stuff is being thought of and commoditized and priced. Yeah. Just feels kind of disconnected from it's almost the like user a- base themselves. Yeah, it's almost like a a separate corporate team that has no connection with the actual game decided these things and thought it would be a great idea. I mean, Capcom, I mean, they've been on a roll. Yeah. And they have been listening to the community. So it'll be interesting to see if they do anything after this sort of backlash. Uh, yeah. And I hope they do something because if they kind of like turn a blind eye and just say nothing and not even offer like a discount or reduced price or a, a special package of all these costumes down the road, then yeah, I think, um, uh, I don't know. They might lose that momentum and we all know what happens when you lose momentum in the gaming front. Yeah. It's really, really hard to win back the public. <laughs> it's well, they're going to face a real big test once uh Tekken eight drops out. Oh Yeah. Yeah. Tekken 8 arrives, there could be a lot of players shifting over to that. Like, I was even having a little text convo with uh, Optimus and yeah. our other friend, Frejo. Yeah. And Frejo asked if we were hyped about Tekken 8. And I was like, um, I really enjoyed Tekken 7. Um, Thus far with Tekken 8, like, I don't know, the art style is a little strange to me. Yeah. Like, there's such a, like, weirdly overly shredded look to, like, the physiques of those characters that it's kind of weird to me. Like, particularly when I saw the Law Reveal trailer, it's just like, he looks weird. <laughs> you know, like it didn't <laughs> it didn't really engender like a lot of excitement for me and I've been a I've been a Tekken fan for almost huh. thirty years now, man. I mean <laughs> I think they were thinking a little bit about the Unreal Engine, the recent one. Yeah. Was a five now? Yeah. And they wanted to really impress and wow people, and I guess one train of thought is like, hey, if we have guys who look so buff, muscles on top of muscles, mm-hmm. <laughs> that yeah, people would be so pumped to play it. It's kind of like you're overdoing it. Yeah. <laughs> and, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't, I also like, I haven't been a regular player of that series, like in an online or esports capacity ever. I mean, played Tekken that game Seven very a lot, much yeah. on a uh, huh. 
That game changed a lot, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I know it changed a lot. It got numerous waves of DLC. Yeah. There were a lot of characters added to it. And I mean, you know, Bandai Namco are definitely not shy about whoring that stuff out either. I mean, you could look at Tekken 7 or Dragon Ball Fighters. Yeah. Um, and yeah, those games. But, but at the same time, like, it almost makes me go, well, shit. If I just wait, if I don't need to play it right away and I wait, like, you could hop on now and buy Tekken 7 and everything that came out for that game digitally complete for like $20. Yeah. It's the same <laughs> with Street Fighter 6. Right. It's like kind of like when Street Fighter 5 Champion Edition came out. Mm hmm. They had all that stuff that was in the first iteration of Street Fighter V all packed in together, and it was like a nice price. Right. And then who knows how much it is now? I didn't check, but you know, yeah. if you wanted to get like all the characters, including uh, Rose, uh, Akira, Dan, Oro, and I forget right. who else, Luke, yeah, you probably yeah. get at a I mean, since Street Fighter Six is out, you'd probably get it for like thirty bucks. I don't know, but geez, yeah, but yeah, which that's a whole other dynamic now. Is you know that like with so many of these bigger games, if you just if it's not something you need to play day one, yeah, there's really no point in buying it right when it drops. It just isn't. I guess, I guess I'm kind of lucky because I live in Japan. And Street Fighter Six Type Arcade is supposed to come out, which is the game center version of Street Fighter Six, and mm -hmm. minus all the BS that you're having with the uh, costumes, I'm sure they'll finagle a way that you can earn costumes without having to pay extra because that's not how it works in game centers. You don't right. pay for extra costumes; you earn it, no matter yeah. what. Um, I'll just be playing that when it comes out hopefully soon they haven't yeah. dropped the date yet but it was supposed to come out this year but right there's only one month left so well, i hope it does soon because i would love to hear well a just your impressions of the game because you still haven't gotten to play yeah. it much um yeah. but i would also love to hear you know if any sort of scene begins to spark from that over there it would be nice yeah. because, as I mentioned before, not everyone can have a PlayStation 5, especially when a lot of people live with families and yeah. they share a TV. And right. traditionally, people go to game centers to avoid family and to play and meet other people. And right. even that's different nowadays because these cabinets are hooked up online. So even though you're playing to a next to someone you might not be actually playing them <laughs> it's true it's crazy nowadays but i will let you know when that comes out and definitely i'll be raving about it but in the meantime i'll just be bitching about dlc costumes that <laughs> I don't, or a game i don't right have. <laughs> well, with that um we're gonna take a little break here and you're gonna hear from some of our fine friends and colleagues over at the ruminations radio network you can check out all of those programs and so much more at ruminationsradionetwork.com. Ruminations Radio Network. 
You've seen Twin Peaks all the way through, but all you have are spoiler-free discussions? At Blue Rose Task Force Podcast, no information is classified and nothing beats the listening sensation when production history collides with deep theory. Put the coffee on. And we're back. That was quite an adventure, wasn't it? It really was. It stirred my heartstrings. There's Um, a lot you can do in 15 seconds. So much. Um, (laughs) So... We haven't tackled a, like, big question in a long time. And this isn't so much a big question, but I think it's an interesting idea that sort of lends itself to a lot of subjectivity and arguing, which is fun. Um, So I thought that you and I could both sit independently and think about, like, what constitutes like five shockingly superior sequels. Mm. And again, this is really deeply subjective because sometimes I think an impressive sequel can be made from perhaps a first game that shows glimmers of promise, but doesn't necessarily fall through, you know, follow through on those things. And there's maybe missing something. And then like a great sequel can just show up and like address all of those things and like shine to its full potential. Um, you know, so I'm excited by the idea of this. Um, I'll trot out the first example of it. Um, and I'm interested to see if we have any in common, but I figure we can just take turns revealing one. Um, yeah, we could do that. That'd be cool. Yeah. Sounds Sounds like a good so idea. So my first one, it's pretty obvious if you know me or have listened to this show at all with any regularity, but first on my list of shockingly superior sequels is Street Fighter 2. Yes. <laughs> and this really ties into my personal journey with that series because I remember seeing both iterations of the original Street Fighter, one of which had two sets of controls with the six buttons, which is like the normal thing that we know of today, like the stock Street Fighter setup. Um, And then there was also the really large Street Fighter cabinet with the pressure-sensitive buttons, um, which now we know it's really kind of a weird gimmick It doesn't exactly lend itself to playing that game well, but we're also talking about a game that, like, controls definitely left a lot to be desired with that very first Street Fighter. Even though, like, the art design for it, like, the characters themselves, those sprites were really beautiful for the time. Like, that and the backgrounds, artistically, like, Capcom was, like, way ahead of the game at that point even though the realization of their gameplay had not quite taken place yet. So every time I would see a Street Fighter cabinet in an arcade, I would look at it and I'd just be like, oh, I wish that played better. You know what I mean? Because it was such a promising concept. Um, And then I saw the very first pictures of Street Fighter 2 in EGM. And I remember looking at it and just this little weird bell went off in my head where I was like, "Mm, you know, I hope that's good. 
but I'm just going to have to wait and see because the first one was kind of disappointing. And I had no idea that eventually it would show up at the old gold mine arcade and would just proceed to dominate my waking hours <laughs> for the rest of that decade, essentially. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's my first example of like a shockingly superior sequel is Street Fighter Two. What's first on your list, Ed? That that was also on my list. Yeah, <laughs> I also have a deep back history on Street Fighter in general, mm-hmm. and um, I played Street Fighter One a lot because my uh, parents owned a grocery store uh, in the south part of Tucson, Arizona. And there was a pizza place right next door to our little supermarket. And I used to go over there almost every day and play the games that they had over there. And Street Fighter 1 was one of those games. And Mm -hmm. I remember how much I liked the game, but I knew that it was very difficult to pull off moves. In fact, I didn't even know like how to do fireball moves or things like that. I just mashed until it finally came out and I was I was remembering how just in general the the characters were cool but yeah, like you said the controls were awful. Mm-hmm. So I thought of it like as uh it's it's a decent game but I'm sure years from now, I'm going to forget about it. And yeah. then Street Fighter 2 came out. And the first time I played it, I think I was at golf and stuff. Okay. And I just remember when I first played it and I saw the name Street Fighter 2, I was like, this doesn't look anything at all like the first game. <laughs> mm-hmm. But then as I started playing it more, I was just enveloped by not only the range of characters but the competition that you would have with this game because street fighter 2 you you would be lucky anyone wanted to play that game with you because that game was terrible in terms of just i mean you have a game with bad controls you want to you really want to play with another person right well the other thing to mention too was that that was you know, Street Fighter 2 spawned the fighting game community, period. Exactly. Yeah. Um, you know, yes, there are lots of, you know, little tributaries or things that contributed to that idea. I mean, Karate Champ, Yar Kung Fu, etc. Like, there are lots of branches on that evolutionary tree. But at that time, the emphasis was on co-op gameplay in arcades so you might play like akari warriors together later on you play final fight together or double dragon or any number of other games like the emphasis was co-op gameplay so having a versus fighting game like that with such poor controls was definitely not an incentive to anybody to like waste a single quarter on a versus match <laughs> yeah huge deterrent <laughs> yeah big time <laughs> but yeah street fighter 2 definitely knocked it out of the park i mean yeah the music was also excellent 
Uh, just the music, the voices, the size the, and the animation effects. on those fucking sprites. Uh, I, I want to use my uh, favorite adjective once again. The beefy yeah. sound effects when you punch beefy. someone. Seriously. Beefy. Yeah. So good. I mean, I How still think those punch. I like. I still it. think those punch sound effects are the best. Yeah, they're so much fun. Like it's just so that fierce smack, especially if you execute it on like you know a barrel, and you get yeah. that like it's so good <laughs> like it's it's satisfying in a way that i still don't fully grasp why it moves me like that um yeah while we're also talking about le- legendary sound effects um gigantic six man on this subject has to be the snk impact of doom sound <laughs> Which what is that? It's is just it? it's it's a it's an impact sound that I think first appeared in Art of Fighting. Oh my and god! It just, uh, okay, okay. Like, it sounds like a racket ball being fired out of a cannon and hitting concrete and in motion. like a very echoey space. Yeah, because it just has this. Yeah, and it's so fucking good i hear that sound effect (laughs) and i'm just like immediately hyped for the thing that i'm playing and i know snk actually wound up using that a lot over repeated games i mean it was throughout like the kof games they brought it back for kof 15 like it's gold it's just a little sonic piece of gold so it's something I wish Street Fighter would do. Because Street Fighter Six, I mean it's a Yeah, I mean all, I, I just I don't know I don't know what the thinking is with that anymore. Cause I feel like, you know, when they were when they were thinking about trying to be competitive in an arcade, yeah, and thinking about that soundscape, it's like they really had to dial in what is a noise that our machine's going to make that like no other machine around it is going to do. And you want to talk about somebody else that was an absolute master of that shit. All the midway games (laughs) from that era are just fantastic. Fantastic. From a sound design perspective. If like, you know what DCS means uh (laughs) that that's the seal of approval. Yeah, I mean you're gonna have that bassy, really yeah. hard hitting. I mean, sound effect. It had such a fantastic reverb that was like, it's also part of those gargantuan heavy particle board cabinets. Yeah, and just the way those things are structured, and like you put a couple of fat, high powered speakers in that thing with that kind of soundscape. And yeah, no wonder. I mean, that that was designed to pull a lot of attention from human beings. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's like a yeah, siren we, song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, entirely. Yeah. Oh. So what is what is the first game on your list as far as like five superior sequels? Oh, that, that was one of them, Street Fighter. 
Okay. Well, share one, share one that, share another one. Okay. Like share an original one, because obviously, like, there's no need to share that one now, because okay. we done um, talked SF2 into the ground. So, like, share share one, because I don't want to, like, reveal five of mine, and then, like, yeah. three of them are also ones that you have on your list. Okay. Yeah. Well, another one would be um, Tekken 1 to Tekken 2. Really? Because when I saw Tekken 1, yeah, this was back when Virtual Fighter was also out. Did you LOL? Huh? Did you LOL when you saw Tekken 1? Dude, it was like, you look at the cabinet. <laughs> I don't know. I Look up the cabinet pictures <laughs> for this game, and you'll see like a picture of Law, like mouth agape. <laughs> you know, with the primal I rem- screen. I remember that particular render, and it's... yeah. It was silly even for the time. <laughs> yeah. When you look at that game compared to Virtua Fighter, you're like, why is this even in the arcade? Because it doesn't even, not only does it not take itself seriously, but it just looks like a really hokey game, right? Yeah. It just looks like. The, yeah. I mean, the, 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 the 3D models for the characters. Yeah. Were very weird looking. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's really. It's deeply proto is my word for something like that. Like it just feels like, yeah, fuck it. Let's put it out there. Let's see what this does. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you go from that to Tekken two where it's like, okay, move over, just kick your ass out. This, this, this is the real Tekken. (laughs) Right. And the characters look so much cooler. There was an actual, awesome storyline the music was just phenomenal see the thing is there's actually oh i'm such a horror for namco of that era because yeah there's actual music from tekken one that i really 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 like yeah and and i'm sure there is but you can't get over the look of the game to even like listen to the game (laughs) you know what i mean that's why i don't have much experience playing it but Tekken Two, yeah, that was that was a real game right there. Jeez, yeah, that that's on my list. No, it got vastly better looking. It got much better playing. You know, every everything just took like a giant step up. Like exactly, uh, it's it's so funny, dude. Because I can remember getting the import playstation version of tekken and (laughs) i remember just having and i was like well the good news about it is that it is arcade perfect pretty much and the bad news about it (laughs) is that it is arcade perfect now granted it did have a range it had a choice of original or arranged music yeah. Which is also a thing that I miss um, in general. Uh, it also had CG cutscenes, <laughs> which were the silliest damn things you have ever laid eyes upon. But again, like, this is in the absolute dawn of the 32 bit era and CD ROM becoming like, not just technically viable, but like actually exciting 
by virtue yeah. of what it can hold. Um, so yeah, no, that's a that's a good and interesting one. That does not appear on my list, but I can I can respect that. I would probably if we had more time to spend on this, yeah. I would probably mount an argument about Tekken three over two. But yeah. I'm not gonna do that right now. Yeah. But yeah, I <laughs> I thought that was a huge jump. That's why yeah. I, that's on the list. Respect. That's good How about stuff. You? Um next game. <laughs> so next on my list, and I have a feeling this is on on, on yours too, but maybe not. Um yeah. Super Metroid. Yeah, it's on my list. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I knew this was gonna happen. Um No man. But no, this mean, is interesting though. I mean, because yeah. Because obviously, be... like you and I, sort of lock into the same idea. Like, yeah, what's a what's a giant leap over like the previous thing? And I mean, obviously, like again, like Metroid was so proto; it was so early for what it was trying to do, and you know, things like the auto mapping, and you know just a little more in the way of like um you know quality of life adjustment like super metroid just nailed down exactly what the form of that game should be how it works basically did everything the first game did but in such a superior fashion, one of the most memorable and moody soundtracks of all time with the with Super Metroid. Um, yeah, that's another like stellar example of and a, a pretty long gestation period too. His first Metroid came out in what eighty seven, eighty six. Something I think like 86 that. on the Famicom disc system. Yeah. Um, and then Super Metroid was what, 93? 94. 94, okay. Yeah. And it was by that time, I think that game wound up on a 32 megabit cartridge. Yeah. Um, and just utilized like a brilliant use of the hardware just a quantum leap as far as like animation and color and yeah, that game is mode seven. <laughs> yeah. Mode seven, you know, with little flourishes like the visor and some of the other elements of the game. But yeah, that game is also a shockingly superior sequel. Yeah. Um, what do you, what else you got on yours? All right. You're going to probably have this too. Okay. Back to the past. Oh, I do not have that on my list. If you and played I, uh, thing, Adventure though. of Link and you're like, no. oh God, it, yeah, I loved Legend of Zelda, <laughs> but this game is like, it's completely different. And I'm like, eh, I want to like it, but it just didn't bring it, you know? And I was, See, you know, what, you know what the great irony to me is, and I was thinking about this recently because 
I went through this loop in thinking about a link to the past. Yeah. Because I did consider putting that on my list. And the thing that I thought about, um, I've been heavily watching Jeremy Parrish's videos. Yeah. The guy that does like NES works, super NES works, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. And one of the great ironies about Zelda two, the adventure of Link, kind of being the quote unquote black sheep of you know the actual canon zelda games I'm not talking about cdi <laughs> um we have, we have to make complete sure uh-huh. is that zelda 2 adventure of link got copied by so many people like that that game's formula for side scrolling action with like you know, it's definitely a huge part of like what became Metroidvanias. You know, I appreciate it too. Yeah, but it's not Zelda. <laughs> <laughs> if it was another game, I'd be like, "Man, this game's great." Yeah, but it's so odd to see like once it became Zelda Two, you're like, ah. <laughs> "Yeah, I want to like it." Yeah. But yeah, it's tough because like I I feel like they you know, sometimes when you have an an idea that interests you, yeah. You know, it might be different than the last idea you had. Well, and on some level you might not be conscious of it not being as good of an idea as the last idea you had. But you have to get it out of your system. Like you have to try that damn thing. Well, and, and I, I admire Zelda, that. Yeah, yeah, I admire that. And I think Zelda Two was definitely a. Well, we have to try this damn thing, and it was sort of like their. Well, let's try this, and oh god, like Dragon Quest and all these other RPGs are becoming a really big deal. So let's make that like point and level system part of this as well, and yeah, it sort of works. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's quite different from a transition from another thing, like let's say from a 2D game to a 3D game, like uh, Mario Odyssey, or I mean, not Mario Odyssey, but uh, Super Mario 64. Yeah. uh, Branching out from the original 2D side scrolling Mario games to a 3D game, or recently Kirby and the, uh, I forget what the exact title is, but you know, when you can turn into a car. Yeah. Forgotten land, I think. I don't know. Um, but that escaped their 2D roots, traditional side-scrolling 2D roots, and tried mm-hmm. to become a 3D game. And it was ex- successful. But the when you have Zelda 2, that's like you're changing the fundamental, like, not only game. I mean, you know like overhead view, whatnot, but you're making it slightly like a completely different game. I shouldn't say slight is it is completely different. So to go from that to link to the past where you go back to Zelda, original Zelda, but make it how it should have been (laughs) what Mm -hmm. Zelda two should have been, but on a better system. Yeah. That's why it gets my vote easily. I had so much fun playing link to the past. It was just phenomenal. Yeah. No, I mean, 
I have very definitive memories of like the first hour of playing that game. And I think yeah. most people can remember when it rained mm-hmm. at the beginning of a link to the past. Yep. Like, and it's not any sort of like graphically spectacular thing, but it just lent so much to like this moody moment. And Oh yeah. It felt so good immediately to navigate a Zelda game in the manner of the original that it was just like instantly like, all right, I'm completely yeah. here for this. <laughs> Jeez. I mean, it had a narrative throughout the whole game compared to like original Zelda where you just go screen to screen yeah, and all you're doing is, you know, killing enemies, which is cool, you know, like yeah. that's how it was back in the day. But it didn't tell a story as much as Link to the Past did. You only knew about yeah. Legend of Zelda's story by reading the manual and getting the yeah. ending. And even yeah. that was kind of like vague, but yeah. Link well, to the Past. Well, that was just, you know, that, that first, I mean, that game is still one of the most like important freaking games that's ever come out. Yep. Um, and that form still is such a strong one that, but yeah, that being able to play another Zelda game in that specific way, but then doing all of this wonderful stuff that, you know, was a result of the super NES hardware. It's just, yeah. Perfect. <sighs> Perfect. Very satisfying. It's still very, still very satisfying to just think about. Um. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I'm down to one game. How about you? How many games you got left? Oh. I have three left. Okay. You might want to say two, <laughs> and then I'll reveal my final. I guess. Okay. Unless you have the same thing I have. We'll um let's see. Um I have ghouls and ghosts. I knew you're gonna have that. It's not my <laughs> game, but I knew I I know you. Yeah. I know you. <laughs> I knew you're gonna And I can feel it's like it royal, because it's like Royal Tenenbaum. I'm just a asshole. <laughs> Yeah. Um but yes, please tell us. I I had ghosts and goblins at a seven eleven near my middle school. Um much to my educational detriment. Um <laughs> but like I would play that shit every morning. And I loved it. And to me, it's one of those prime examples of like you know, if you just try something and you like it and you continue to grind away at it, the idea that a game is hard might not occur to you because whatever your threshold for enjoyment versus suffering difficulty, it might just have been passed by because you were engaged you found it to be a fair experience, so you kept playing. 
And so I played the hell out of that game. And this is in obviously the Cretaceous period where media coverage was very scant about these things. You had your monthly video game mags, but they're kind of all over the place in terms of talking about things. Um, No one game would get that much coverage until we got much more into like the 16 bit era. Um, No internet. It never occurred to me that it was like a really balls hard game. And then at a different seven 11 ghouls and ghosts appeared really close to my house. And I was so swept up by just this quantum leap in character animation by how much more vivid and striking the backgrounds were. Um, You know, being able to fire up and down was also a huge thing that made Arthur feel much more formidable. Um, And so, yeah, like Ghosts and Goblins, that whole series, the Makaimura series, has this gnarly reputation for being like so brutally hard. And I don't really think it is. I never have. But it's just interesting to me that, like, if you hear something is hard in advance, that can have such a strange way of, like, psychologically putting you behind the eight ball. You know what I mean? Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah. You're tempered by steel, my friend. (laughs) I, I was scared of that game. I still am scared of that game. My God, I played you're scared it. Scared of those games? You got both. Ca- you're gonna have both cabinets in your in your house very soon. I'm very excited, and uh, I need to get back to playing it because uh, I enjoyed it, but it's painful. Yeah. Especially well, the Ghost thing is, <laughs> you're gonna get to that place, and I swear, Ed, it's just like Ninja Gaiden. Yeah. Where when you know the layout of the level and what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do. Um, I don't think it's that different. I think the spawning in ghosts and goblins is a little more unpredictable. Like it can do some really weird, janky, like fucked up, completely unfair things. Occasionally it will do that. I think most of the time, it's got a pretty predictable pattern. Um, and so if you play it in that same mindset that you would attack like Ninja Gaiden for NES, yeah, you'll, you'll get there and it will be very, very satisfying. I don't plan on giving up. I just wish I had more time. Yeah. <laughs> real life stuff. Yeah. That's a great choice. <laughs> I look forward to playing both and beating yeah. both. So, what's the last one on your list? Pac-Man Championship Edition. Damn. Because... Well, that's another thing. That's a paradox. (laughs) Because now there's there's a new testament. (laughs) Yeah. So, going from Pac-Man to Pac-Man Championship Edition, I mean, back in the day, the 80s, um, a lot of games just you played them 
They didn't have an ending. Yeah. Unless there was a forced ending, like a, a kill screen or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what Pac-Man was. Um, you played it until your body gave up. <laughs> or yeah. you were not skilled enough to continue. Um, but it was a great, it's a beautiful concept. Yeah. Addictive. But it shows its age. Yeah. And Toru Iwatani, the creator of the game, his last game was Pac-Man Championship Edition. Mm-hmm. And it came full circle because now you only need to play it for five minutes. Yeah. And now the board changes dramatically. It's faster pace. Mm-hmm. Uh, it starts slow, but it goes faster and faster. Mm-hmm. And it keeps the concept where the ghosts chase you, you eat the power pellet, you eat them. But now you're focused on getting as many points as you can within five minutes. Right. And I think that's a perfect game. Yeah. Because especially at this day and age where you don't have much time to play games. Mm-hmm. I mean, a game like that is a godsend because yeah. you always want to up your high scores. It's always a great game to came, come back to. It's timeless. And you never get bored. Um, and then when the D-Make came out on the Namcot collection where uh, they made the D-Make look like a NES. Well, it is an NES game. You could run it on an NES that had uh, specifications that could run it. Like mm-hmm. the, the sound chip, right? Um, yep. You'd have to mod it. But they made the play field smaller. So you can chain uh, pellets even better. Mm-hmm. The original championship, uh, champion edition, championship edition, you couldn't do that. You would get to a point where you couldn't chain the pellets, but in the D make, you can chain until the very end. So that boosted your score even higher, and it mm-hmm. seems to be even faster than the original championship edition. It's a fucking fast game. <laughs> and we talked about it before this is actually a rom hack or well, not a rom hack but a homebrew that yeah. m2 uh looked up the uh original author worked out a deal beefed up the game and it's yeah it's such a like little work of art yeah oh. it's yeah. better than the original championship edition so yeah. That's like a double. Yeah. But that is easily top three for me. That And not only that, one of the best upgrades to a, a, an original game ever, in my opinion. It's there are so a lot of Pac-Man fun. games, but yeah. that is the king. And don't talk about Championship Edition DX 1 and 2. Those are horrible games, in my opinion. <laughs> I don't care what you say. It went away from the basic concept of ghosts chasing you. It became more of a chain game where you chain combos with ghosts and a to- totally lost track of what Pac-Man was. And Toru Iwatani was not in charge of that game. So, no. You're, you're totally not alone on that one because I know... Um... Tim Rogers did his very extensive review of Pac-Man and he took a big old dump on those as well. Tim Rogers is my friend even more <laughs> than he was before. I listened to insertcredit.com, the podcast, and he is a brilliant man and he knows what he's talking about. 
and Although, now we're besties. <laughs> he um he actually has issues, and I would love to hear him actually talk about this because he only broaches it very yeah. briefly, but he has issues with the time limit um, in, okay. in Champ Edition. And I think to me, that's the brilliant thing that just makes you return to it over and over and over again. Exactly. For me, it goes back to like the same reason that to- the f- the first few iterations of Tony Hawk were so fucking addictive because you get two minutes, do whatever the hell you want in the level. If you want to scratch a specific goal, do that. Or if you just want to gun for score, do that. Like there's something magical to me about a time limit and a very open-ended sort of gameplay model. And just, what do you do? Like, I love that. I love that, that concept. Um, it works. And yeah. Th- that, that, it, that D make of Pac-Man champ Ed. Yeah. That's oh, so bloody good. Yeah. I'm glad it's in my life. I'm glad you told me about that game. If you have never told me about that game, I probably would have never tried it and I would never known it existed. And I would be super sad because Pac-Man Museum Plus is a piece of dump. <laughs> <laughs> and we still have not gotten a perfect version of the original championship edition. Yeah. I would have been a sad boy. <laughs> but I'm super happy that D Make exists. Yeah. This is the reason why I exist. Oh, <laughs> it's a delight. Your last um, one, sir. Uh, you know what? Like, this could have been so many different games, but yeah. a component of this that I was trying to lock into was not strictly like the academic, like, oh, this gameplay got better because of X, Y, and Z. I also tried to think about like that moment when you encounter a new game and you're just completely like, it's all you can think about. It's all that you're worried about. It's like, it just becomes one of those things that like, I can't wait for the next fucking time that I play this. And it just begins to invade your waking hours, even when you are not playing it. And so another game for me that rises to that, even though I think you could probably make a pretty good argument that it isn't necessarily the most gameplay iterative thing, um, Samurai Showdown 2. Oh, that is, I'm surprised. I didn't think you would say that, but I agree with you. I agree with you. And it's just because, like, the first game was such an enormous surprise. Like, you know, I liked Fatal Fury Special. I didn't quite think that not that SNK stuff at that time had really eclipsed Street Fighter or really went, like, in its own direction enough yet. Um, Art of Fighting was, eh, you know, I mean... yeah. It was cool. It's cool to have massive characters that zoom in. Um, But when I saw Samurai Showdown for the first time, I was just like, 
son of a bitch. Like they did their own thing. And this is brilliant. Like this is beautiful. These characters are amazing. There's all kinds of in jokes and winks to things from samurai cinema that are the kinds of things that I've only been able to explore since. Um, but with two, I really wondered how they were going to like top the bar artistically. And I wondered what new characters in that universe would be like. And I think the characters added to that are so bloody interesting and different. Like only one of them is kind of a more sort of stock samurai swordsman, but it's great because he's Haomaru's rival with Genjiro. Um, so yeah, between Genjiro and Nicotine, Chom Chom, yes, and Meinhalt uh, Seeger. Oh, like. I just, I, I wondered how they were going to top themselves and because I was just so impressed with the first one and then son of a bitch, they did it again. Yeah. Samurai Showdown <laughs> was the reason why I started liking Neo Geo. Yeah. Theta Fury was okay. Like you said, Art of Fighting was okay. It was different, but yeah. Samurai Showdown was like, hey, this is pulling me away from Street Fighter. Mm-hmm. And Samurai Showdown 2, wow, just the impact it had. Yeah. I mean, it was hard to juggle time between those two games, <laughs> Street mm-hmm. Fighter 2 and Samurai Showdown 2. Well, I know around that time, too, was also when you began to get addicted to KOF. Oh, yeah. I know KOF 94 put, left a big old footprint in your ass. Oh, yeah. Played it <laughs> for a year straight, almost every week, trying to beat the computer. And finally doing it one year later. Yeah. Because Rugal is balls hard. Mm-hmm. So, so, so fucking good. cheap. But, <laughs> yes, I digress. <laughs> but Samurai 2, that's a great choice. Because oh. um, the universe they built, it was so unique from anything else I ever played. And yeah. Samurai 1, its drawbacks were, it, it was a little slow. Yeah. And the characters are cool, but um, yeah, it it just had it needed a little bit more. Yeah, and Samurai Two definitely brought that to the table. They brought even better looks. Uh, the the uh the rage gauge was a little bit more improved now that you can do uh super combos and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Super attacks. Well, it had a lot of weird, like completely hidden supers as well. I mean, you remember. Hamaru's like crazy super uppercut. And uh Nakaruru's little cape swirl. Mm-hmm. That was hidden. And the doll moves. Yeah. Don't forget the doll moves. And then you yeah. can play uh Kuroko, the uh referee. Yep. I forgot how to do it. And then there was a mystery on how to even fight him. Yep. Like you could play against him. Yeah, and he's so got a, a he's got his he's got he's even got his own background. Yeah. It's got like the physiology chart. Yep. Yeah. So that game had a lot of mystique that Sam, uh, Street Fighter 2 did not have. 
like mm-hmm. a lot of hidden secrets. Well, that's the thing. It even kind of felt like it was taking a page out of like Mortal Kombat, like kind with of, the doll yeah. moves and some of the other more secret things. Like they're just beginning to figure, like, oh, you you can put all kinds of shit in a game like this. Yeah, and yeah, I agree. Oh, it's a great jump. So yeah, that was a great topic. <laughs> Big question. We missed you, buddy. Uh, Thanks for coming back and visiting us. We know we can't yeah. have you every episode, but it's always we won't do it every time. But if we feel like there's something that really has legs that we can toss yeah. back and forth, then we will. So yeah. we're Whoop. a little bit of time, but yeah, that was so much. What fun. else? It's what a else? it's a it's a ho- it's a holiday season. Yeah, double decker. Yeah, what have you? Yeah, let it ride. <laughs> Definitely. I hope you had fun uh, listening to us today about the topics and stuff. But yeah, it's always a pleasure, my friend. Talking with always you. a good time, Uncle Ed. Three weeks time, we'll be together physically oh, for the first time in five years. I can't wait. Oh, we'll see what happens after that. Yeah, so we're gonna record one of these in person. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Crazy. Maybe hey, you hop in and join. Yeah. Good times. Cool, man. All right. All right. Well, we're winding down 2023. Glad uh, you're still aboard listening to us. We're always appreciative of everyone. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks again for tuning in to another fine episode of Oh God It Hurts. We will see you on the flip side. Goodbye. Goodbye.